Welcome back to the Captain's Logs Log. This is your host, Captain Oliver Hayes, coming at you live from Trillium Island. Sorry about that, lost a pet. Spirits are high as the midday sun. We've been here three days and it feels like we might never leave. Who would want to anyways? We had a fire on the beach last night and swam back to the Dreamcatcher far past sundown. The water was so warm even at that time of night. It's easy to forget about the Nomo, but I've got to keep recording the logs. I'm thinking I might turn it into the Coast Guard, but I want to keep a copy of the audio. Might make a good novel someday. Captain Edward Banks, MV Nomo 2, January 10, 1943. Today was quite an interesting day. I seem to have forgotten part of it. Well, not forgotten, but... When I first woke up, I got the sense that something was wrong. I opened my eyes to red light shining through the portholes of my cabin. After throwing on some clothes, I ran up on deck and joined the small crowd of sailors looking ashore where the red light was coming from. The coast we were sailing past was on fire, smoke billowing up from the grasslands. I was very confused, to say the least. The weather had been humid, and it was January. By no means was this normal. I had Henry, our mysterious radio operator, radio ashore to ask what was going on. He was not happy to see me when I knocked on the door to the radio room, obviously expecting a deckhand, but nevertheless, he tolerated my presence while he contacted the shore. The person he got a hold of seemed pressed for time, maybe out of breath. They never gave us a harbor or location where they were stationed at, but they said that there had been an explosion at a chemical factory in the area and that it had set the grasslands around it on fire. We asked where the factory was, as we hadn't seen one, and what company the factory belonged to but the voice quickly faded into static and was lost. I told Henry to keep listening to see if they got back into contact. I walked up the stairs and turned into the kitchen, where Chef Randall greeted me with a smile and a steaming cup of black coffee. Breakfast that morning was sausages and beans, and as I got my plate and walked to a table, Adelaide slid into the seat across from me. Good morning, Captain, he said, beaming. How's your coffee? I looked him directly in the eyes and grabbed my mug, taking a slow and loud sip of the brew. Quite good, Adelaide, now that I've had the chance to try it, I grumbled. He raised his eyebrows and asked, Did you find anything about the fires on the shore? The crew and I are wondering about it. 
Yes, actually, I said. We contacted the shore, and it seems some sort of factory caught fire. Adelaide sat back with a look of horror. Do you know which factory it was? He said hastily. I glared at him. If I knew, I would have told you. An hour later, the fires were still visible on the shore. From my vantage in the bridge, it looked like they stretched on forever, the blue sky stained with the black smoke that hung above the sea and ship. We had gone miles and miles along the coastline, seeing nothing but red flames atop the hills. Briggs remarked that he'd never seen anything like this before, not at this time of year, and certainly not to this extent. We'd passed 40 miles of coastline, and still, a blazing inferno was all that could be seen ashore. No more peaceful pastures or remote cottages. I asked Briggs if he thought there might be something in the air, and he looked worried, realizing that if some kind of chemical was burning, we'd been breathing it in for the last couple hours. Just as he opened his mouth to respond, Henry Chacker came barging onto the bridge. Captain, I need you in the radio room, he gasped, gesturing wildly for me to follow him, and then turning around and running back down the stairs he had just come up. With a glance at Briggs, I tore down the stairs three at a time, following the sound of Tracker's footsteps all the way to the radio room. I've got something, he said, handing me a pair of headphones and switching on the radio. Lights and tubes started to flash, and the needles on gauges found their places. He began to turn the knobs as I put the headphones on, at first hearing only static, but then... something. I could hear a faint voice fading in and out with the noise, broken syllables registering as something that could be speech, but also could be random sound. Finally, a word came through, a man saying, smoke. It faded again and came back, but in the end, I managed to write down this string of words, smoke, containment, red, chemical, project, cleanup. And then, Trestle. Could it be the same Trestle whose cargo was in our second hold? Could we be passing their factory? Could they be a chemical corporation? I intended to find out. We sat by the radio for another hour, trying to pick out anything. We heard garbled voices talking, but we never picked up another complete word. At that point, I was fed up, so I told Tracker that we would be making a trip to hold number two to investigate the cargo. We stepped out of the radio room only to see Adelaide standing right beside the door. I asked him what he was doing there, and he sheepishly admitted that he had been eavesdropping. He said that he was interested to find out what was in hold number two. I figured it had something to do with the feeling he got on the first day, and I could see him clutching his talisman in one hand. I decided to let him tag along, not because I wanted him there, which I obviously didn't, but because I thought he could be of some use moving the boxes. I undid the latch on the door to hold number two and spun the heavy iron wheel that held the watertight bolts in place. The door swung open smoothly on its balanced hinges, and we stepped into the dark room. Henry turned on the flashlight that he had previously shone in my face, and I flipped on the light switch nothing happened. I turned the switch to off and then on again, but still nothing. 
All the light seemed to have burnt out. Aided by the light of Tracker's flashlight, but not wanting to go too far into the dark chamber, Adelaide suggested that we open one of the boxes on the ground, near the door. I felt a chill come over me, but ignored it, shook it off. Tracker grabbed a crowbar from the ground, and Adelaide started removing the straps from the box. The light shining in from the windows made the room red, Tracker's face illuminated fully by the firelight as he worked at the lid. After a while, Henry and Adelaide declared that they had done the best job they could, trying to open the crate without destroying it so that we could close it back up afterwards. We really weren't supposed to open cargo, especially during passage, but we had to inspect it. I walked over as they removed the lid. I didn't know what to prepare for. Chemicals? Test tubes? Tanks of gas or medicine? We slowly and carefully removed layer after layer of burlap fabric covering the materials inside. We finally got to the last layer. This was it. With a silent nod to Tracker and Adelaide, I removed the last layer of fabric to reveal can openers. Row after row of can openers. So many can openers that I wondered who could ever possibly use that many can openers. Can openers, all of one shape, just one color scheme, black with metal. Can openers. Of all the things to find in a mysterious crate, who would have expected? Can opener. Does that sound strange? I think it does. Something's just not quite right with the memory of the incident. I couldn't put my finger on it, but upon mentioning it to Tracker, I realized that I wasn't the only one with the feeling. His jaw dropped, and he asked if I was short an hour. I asked what he meant. Let me clarify, he said. Did you ever eat lunch? I tried to think back. I'm trying to think back now. But all I remember is can openers. Something isn't right. I would have eaten lunch, and looking at can openers did not take an hour. I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure it has something to do with this Trestle Corporation. Their name shouldn't have been mentioned at a chemical fire if they made can openers, right? It's late. Maybe I'm just tired. I need rest. I'll tackle this in the morning. Signed, Captain Edward Banks, MV Nomo 2. Well, that's not quite what I expected to happen. I'm inclined to wonder what on earth the Trussell Corporation was or is. I, I've certainly never heard of them. And forgetting an hour? That's never happened to me before. All I'm saying is that something is afoot aboard that. Sorry, have to sign off. You'll never believe it. But the entire sea is glowing an electric shade of blue.
I've never seen anything like this before. Josie, my first mate, says that it's probably plankton. Still, it's incredible. This has been Oliver Hayes. We're done here. Thanks for listening to Oceanbound, a podcast produced by Soren Ficklin. Podcast hosting from Anchor Podcasts. All music is original. You can listen to Oceanbound wherever podcasts are found. Productions.